Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, as we continue in our study through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. As you're making your way there, uh, I wonder, any fathers of brides in here? Any, any fathers here walked your, 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 your daughter down the aisle? There, yeah, a few of you. Um, I, I've had the privilege to walk two of my daughters. I, God gave me three children, two of them girls, and uh, I had the privilege to do all of my kids' weddings. That was just a wonderful privilege. I'm shocked I didn't turn into a puddle uh, during the service. But, um, but, you know, as much of an honor as it was for me to do their weddings, and it certainly was, uh, it was a huge honor for me to walk my girls down the aisle. Uh, and I just did a, a, a you know, a, a wedding this last week. It brings it up, brings it fresh. I always think about, you know, when, when, you know, you're talking about your daughters and marriage and all, I always think about that movie, The Father of the Bride, you know, with Steve Martin. And, and it's brilliant writing because there's this one scene where she tells him she's getting married. You guys know the scene. And she's, they're sitting at the dinner table. And then all of a sudden they show you, as she's telling her dad that she's getting married, they show you from her dad's perspective, and he sees his little six-year-old daughter. And it's this scene where this is little six-year-old telling him, you know, I'm, I'm getting married. And it's, and it's classic because it's true, you know. And, and, no, and nobody good enough to marry, you know, your daughters and all. And, and, and so, anyway, so this last week I, I, I'm, I'm doing a wedding for a member of our church. Uh, and, um, and so... You know, you've got the rehearsal and then you've got the wedding. So, so what I do, and I make a point of doing this at, at my wedding rehearsals, is that um, as we go through it, when dad walks his daughter down the aisle, I stop at that moment and I, and I memorialize what's taking place. Right here, right now. Wait a minute, let's talk about the significance of this. Because, you know, the guy's going forward and he's like, and a lot of times they get caught up in the mechanics of the transfer and I'm not like, no, 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 not the mechanics of the transfer, the significance of the transfer. Let's talk about what's happening here. And I'll, I'll point out and I'll say, listen, you, listen, dad, you're giving your daughter away right here in this spot. Tomorrow you're going to be walking your daughter and you're going you're gonna to kiss her goodbye and you're giving her away. And, you know, here's this girl that you have provided for, that you've protected, and, and, and now you're going to take her arm, and you're going to stick it in the arm of this moron, and, and <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the thing, you know, I mean, like for me, some, our experience in, in, in giving our daughters away was such, was such a joy, we'll just put that right there, such a joy um, because uh, we had prayed from the time they were little girls for the guy that they would marry, you know? Same, same with my son and, and, and his future wife and his now wife. You know, we, we prayed for, for, the, for these people, and, and man, God answered our prayers in abundant ways. And I, and I realize not everybody is quite so fortunate, but man, how blessed it was. And so there's this moment of, now I'm giving my daughter away. Here's this transition. And, and I tell you about that story by way of introduction to, to 1 Samuel chapter 12 because really the big idea of chapter 12 is tr- the transferring of leadership. It is not unlike the, the, the feelings and the emotions and the significance of the father who, who gives his bride away. Here you've got Samuel who has been entrusted with the nation of Israel as, as the judge over Israel and, and he's had them as it were under his wing for so many years and now here today we're going to see him giving as it were his bride away, giving, giving this nation away, transferring leadership to Saul. There's a lot of lessons for us uh, to learn here in our text, uh, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, it says, now, Samuel said, you know what, let me back up a little bit. Sorry for those of you who have fake Bibles, I'm going to complicate things. Let me back up to to chapter 11, um, verse 14. It it says, then Samuel said uh, to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. See, what had happened was they had this great victory. They were, they were faced with an enemy. All of a sudden, Saul, he had been, you know, named as, hey, here's your king kind of deal. The people knew it, but he really hadn't assumed and stepped into the responsibility of the position. He really hadn't arrived yet. 
And so now all of a sudden Saul coming uh, out from working all day and he hears everybody weeping and lamenting because, you know, here Nahash, this enemy that surrounded them, has, surra- has threatened, look, I, I'm going to gouge out all your eyes and so you guys want to make a compromise, that's fine. So I'm gonna, it's going to cost you your right eye kind of deal. So everybody's all upset. Saul comes into the mix and now Saul's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's like, no, we're not compromising. We're going to combat this enemy and they have a great victory and so now everybody's all about Saul. It's like, oh, here's our guy. He's the guy. And, and so what happens now is that Samuel recognizes, okay, now is the perfect time for me to make this way publicly official. Let's, let's, let's take him up to Gilgal and let's, let's do this transfer of power. And so he says, so now that's when Samuel says to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Verse 15, so all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now, uh, that's the, the event, that's what happens, but chapter 12 gets into the details of what happened in that process. We just sort of read the, the summary of verse 15, but we're going to get into the details in verse 12 of this transfer of leadership. And so, chapter 12, verse 1, now Samuel said to all Israel, indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and I've made a king over you. Look, you guys asked for this, and so I've done it. Here he is. Uh, you know, be careful what you ask for. Sometimes you get it kind of deal. And uh, verse 2, and now here is the king walking before you, right there in the flesh, Saul. Hey, there he is. Dun, da, da, da. And I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day, and here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or, or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or, or from whom, from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. See, it wasn't uncommon in these days for, you know, if you were a public official, if you were in a position of political prominence or of some sort of power, that you could be bought, that you could be paid for. I guess not much has changed, right? You, you know, you, you, you're in some sort of position and, you know, hey, you know, look, we, uh, uh, we're from this political action committee and, and, you know, it would be so nice as this bill comes up, you know, for appropriations and all, hey, would you, you know, get our vote? And so this is this was totally commonplace for, for people to be crooked and to be to be able to be bought. And so Samuel's saying here he's going to transfer leadership here, and he's saying, look, you know, I'm if if I was crooked in any way, shape, or form, here I am, man. My life's an open book. You're all here. I'm here. Nothing hidden. Let's have it. Kind of deal. And uh, they said, verse four, you have not cheated us or oppressed us. Nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. And then verse 5, he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Now, the issue here at hand is transitional leadership, a transition of leadership. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that, listen, Transition is a fact of life. All of us are leaders in some capacity. God has entrusted you and he's entrusted me with various responsibilities. We are all leaders in a a particular capacity. And there will come a day when the, the transition has to take place. When you, in your current position of leadership, will have to transition that position to someone else. You'll have to, to, to turn that responsibility over to someone else. Uh, the day will come when your kids, whom you govern, whom you have authority over, who you lead, the day will come when you will transition their authority to themselves. There will be a transition of leadership from you to them. Tell me, that's not a scary thought. I mean, I talk to parents all the time and we talk about, you know, hey, look, it, it, life is wonderful when you lock your door at the end of the night and your kids are in their room. 
I've just locked my door and every, dads, you, you know, represent. You're like, yes, that's right. The door is locked. I'm inside and my kids are inside and the whole bad world is outside and that's the way it's right and proper. That's the way it ought to be. And that's fine except for a day comes when you lock the door and they're outside. And then you get an opportunity to go, oh, how good of a parent was I really? <laughs> you know, how good of a job did I actually do now that I can't lock them in their room kind of deal? And so, so the day comes when your kids become adults and there is that transfer of leadership. The day comes when you walk your daughter down the aisle and you give her away and there is that transfer of leadership. The day comes in our lives in a multitude of responsibilities when the mantle of responsibility passes from us to someone else, whether it be a mantle of responsibility in your family or in your ministry or in your workplace, whatever it is. And, and so what I, what I want you to understand here is that we're going to be looking at transferring leadership and a lot of different examples of how Samuel went about transferring leadership. And this is critically important for us to get because it, 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 we, we're going to live with this. We're going to do this. And listen, how many of you know that transition starts a whole lot sooner than the actual event? It starts a whole lot sooner than the actual event. It's been said there's three kind of leaders, right? Those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and those who ask, what happened, right? And a leader, by and large, is a guy who makes things happen. A leader, by and large, is a person who, if I can use the example of, you know, shooting trap, well, listen, if you're going to hit that clay pigeon when it's released, well, if you aim right at it, you're going to miss it every time, aren't you? You have to lead your target. You have to aim ahead of your target. And this is leadership. And so when we talk about transferring leadership, if you just wait till the moment to transfer leadership, you're going to have profound problems. You're not going to do it well. The dad who waits and the first time he thinks about, oh yeah, I'm giving my daughter away, and he's never contemplated, he's never considered it, and it's never factored into how he's been a father day in and day out, I can guarantee you that that will come with regrets. I can guarantee you that there will be profound problems there because the father who has led the target, the father who has thought this stuff through, He will, on the day that he gives his bride away, it will be on the heels of a lot of work that has gone into it. Let let me meet this clown who says he wants to marry my daughter. Let me spend some time with this guy. Let me find out who he is. Let me find out where he lives. Let me find out where his weaknesses are so I can exploit them. You know, you want to know all of this stuff. But seriously, seriously, you want to be that dad who has prepared. So you know that when I give my daughter away in marriage, well, I've done my due diligence. I've poured my life into this person as much as I can. As I said, Brenda and I, for our, for, for our kids and specifically for our daughter's husbands, we prayed fervently from the time they were little girls, uh, you know, every night for their husbands. Lord, bless them. Give them a godly husband and, and, and so on and and I, it, man, the men that my girls married were exactly who we prayed for them to be. And with, in particular with my, with my son-in-law, Zach, my, my middle daughter, Caitlin, uh, I, I got the great opportunity to disciple Zach for several, many months before they had any romantic involvement. They were just friends. It was awesome. There was nothing encumbering that, you know, and I was able to just disciple him. And, and so, so the, the idea here is that, man... The transition starts a lot sooner than the actual event. And we have to think that through. And so now, as Samuel transfers leadership here, um, we see that this day, keeping in mind that transition starts a lot sooner than the actual event, this day started much before this event. First, first point, if you're taking notes, Samuel set an example to follow. Samuel set an example to follow. This example started when transition wasn't even on the horizon. I'm emphasizing this point because I I need you guys to get this because many of us are in the position where when we talk about transition of leadership, many of us are more in the season where it's a matter of assuming leadership or stepping into a role of leadership or whether it's just I'm completely embroiled in this thing that God has given me to lead. Transition is a million miles away. Yeah, and now is when you need to start thinking about it. 
That's the idea. So I want you to have that mindset as we go through this. Now Samuel, he set an example to follow. You see there in verse 3, he says, witness against me. Now, the way that that is structured in the original language, basically what he's saying, it's, it's like a court of law. What he's saying is, put me on trial. I'm standing before you as a leader, and I want you to put me on trial. I was listening to a radio program just by chance yesterday as I got in my car, and uh, two guys were talking, and the one guy says to the other, he says, you should run for public office. And the guy he says this to just starts laughing hysterically. He's like, I've got too many skeletons in my closet. I could never run for public office. And, and, and so the, the issue here for, for Samuel is he, he ain't got any skeletons in his closet. He's lived his life pure and blameless. And so, so the issue here, man, Samuel set an example to follow, and he says, put me on trial. Well, the idea is leaders, get this, leaders are always on trial. Leaders, if you are a leader, you are always on trial. Robert uh, Fulgham, he's, he's the guy that wrote Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, if you've ever heard of that book. And, and he said this, he said, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. Right? They're always watching you. And the same goes for anyone you lead. It's not just children. Anyone you lead, they are always watching you. Take... Case in point, the CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch, right? If, if, you, if you guys have, have watched the news, the CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch in, the, in I think it was the, the fourth quarter of 2013, um, he was quoted in the news that he said, look, we don't provide large or extra large clothing for women. And, and the reason that, that they don't provide large or extra large clothing for women, according to this CEO, his quote basically was, you know, in high school you had the cool kids and you had the dorks. And the dorks didn't belong. And then he said, concerning his clothing line, he said, you know what, some people, they just, they just don't belong with Abercrombie and Fitch. Right? So he's saying, look, no, 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 fat, no fat girls. And we consider anybody who wears large clothing to be fat. And so, you know, so how do you think that went over when that hit, you know, the public <laughs> by and large? Well, first of all, he said this. He never realized the scope of what his words would, would you know, turn into. A guy did a video. A lot of people did videos. One guy did a video, posted on, on YouTube. And his video was, he went down to, you know, Salvation Armies and, and Goodwills and all, trying to find old Abercrombie and Fitch clothing, and then, because he wasn't going to buy it new, but he went around and he did it, and then he went around to Skid Row, and he just started giving it away to everybody. Hey, represent, represent, here you go. And then he, you know, put it on Twitter, he put it on YouTube, encouraged everybody, go get all the Abercrombie and Fitch clothes you can, and give it away to the homeless, give it away to, you know, whoever. And, and so, at last I checked... 8.4 million views of this, of this video. You think that had an effect on their bottom line? Well, it's interesting. Just a couple of days ago, a few days ago, uh, I think it was uh, Forbes who did a report on this. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not exactly sure. But here's, the, here's what I am sure of. They've lost over $12 million in revenue in the first quarter of 2014. Um, right? Awesome. Yeah, they should. Listen, here's my point. If you, this is why this is important in terms of leaders always being on trial and Samuel setting a good example. Look, when we talk about transferring leadership, if you ever hope to ever even transfer leadership, listen, you have to have followers to begin with, right? You have to live in such a way that you have followers. John Maxwell said, he who thinks he leads and has no followers is only taking a walk, you know? So when we talk about this idea of transferring leadership, you've got to understand it starts a lot sooner, a lot earlier than that. And, and it, it starts with the fact that, hey, am I setting a good example? Because if I'm not setting a good, a good example, I'm not going to have anybody to transfer leadership to because I'm not going to be leading anyone. Okay, so, so Samuel, he's talking about, hey, look, he, he, I've set a good example, and he gives us a lot of examples of how he set a good example. First of all, in verse 2, he says, my sons are with you. Interesting uh, choice of words there. Now remember, chapter 8, what did, what did the people say about his sons? They're sinners. They're wicked. Your sons are wicked. They're doing stuff they ought not to do. And here they are. They're like, they've got this ministry that you've put them into. Now what does Samuel do with that information? 
Well, see, if he was crooked and if he wasn't a good leader, he'd say, mind your own business. These are my sons and I've got the power to do anything I want to do with them. But that would be wicked. That would not be setting a good example. That would not be leadership. So what did Samuel do? Samuel kicked him out of ministry. When he says, look, my sons are with you, what he's saying is, look, they're not in ministry. They were found to be wicked and I exercised my authority in an unbiased way by kicking my sons out of the ministry. I'm blameless. I'm pure. See, the thing is, is that we need to be thinking that way. What's the implication? Hey, he made tough calls as a leader. If you're going to to influence people, if you're going to have followers, and if you're going to have something, some, some semblance of leadership that you're going to be able to transfer, well, listen, it's going to start way earlier down on the line. You need to be able to make tough calls. I'll give you a silly example of this. In my family, I manage the checkbook. And, and so in the managing of my checkbook, you know, I, basically the person managing the checkbook is the one who, who determines, okay, well, we got money for this, we haven't got money for, for that kind of deal. Now, God blessed me because I'm cheap, and he gave me a wife who doesn't like to shop. I'm like, score, right? And, and so, you know, I'm blessed there, but I, I, hate to, I hate to tell my wife no, I really do. And she doesn't like to shop, and she doesn't spend money, so it's not like, you know, like i got a shopaholic wife or any problems like that, but, but it, there are some times where, you know, she'll be like, oh, I want to get this, and I can't, I, want, I don't like to say no to her, you know, for several reasons, not the least of which is she doesn't ask for very much. Good grief, she asked for something, I should be able to give it to her. So for a lot of years in our marriage, what would happen is I, I would make financial decisions that, that weren't the best decisions for our family. I wouldn't make the tough calls. Why? Well, it was, it was about me. I didn't want to say no to my wife. I didn't want to be, you know, to deprive her of this thing. And then the Lord showed me, look, the most loving thing you can do is say no when, when it's going to cause hurt and, and, and pain down the road. And, and my wife, that's what she wants. She doesn't want me to just give her what she asked for if it's going to cause us harm. You know, and, and so I, it, this was something. Now, you, you go, well, gosh, why, what's that got to do with, with transferring of, of leadership? Well, I'll tell you one example in one way it does. For my son, he just got married. And now he's in a position where I see him in his marriage now telling his wife, honey, we, we can't do that. We don't, ha- we don't have the, the finances for that. And I thought, you know what? For better or for worse, our kids, our kids become us. And they, and they do the things, and I'm like, well, Praise God. At least there's one area where I set a good example for him. And so in the transfer of leadership in his life, now he's been equipped to be a better husband and to be a better father. Why? Well, because by God's grace, I set a a good example of leadership. You see how this works? So so it's it's really important here with Samuel saying, look, I I set a good example. Another example that he gives where he set a good example, he he says um, in verse 2, I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. It makes some points that, look, I'm gray-haired, I'm old, and since I was a little kid, man, I've walked before you. Here, here's the implication. How did he set a good example? Well, he led consistently. There was a consistency to his leadership. There, were, there, 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 was, a, there was a longevity to it. Paul told this to the Corinthians. He said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Jesus telling the parable of the talents, he, he said, there's a couple of guys that were faithful, and there was, a, there was one who was unfaithful. And as they appeared before their master, the earthly picture of, of us, you know, in this story, what's a parable? Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus telling this parable, he says, these two guys, they are entrusted with us, they appear before their master on their day of reckoning. It's, it's a heavenly meaning. We will all give an account for our lives someday. And so what do they hear from their master? It's what we want to hear from our master. Well done, thou good. And faithful servant. And so Samuel, he, he was faithful. He had, he had a consistency in his life. Brenda and I this year are celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. 30 years. And I think about that. Uh, yeah, you, you can clap. I'm thrilled for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I brought her around. So, to the dark side. Um, no, but you know, here's the, I think about that. You know, how, marriage is tough, right? Well, I've been greatly benefited. We both have been greatly benefited in the fact that both of our parents are still married. 
Uh, my, my mom and dad, my dad has set such a great example for me. 57 years he's been married to my mom. And, and they, and she gets jealous of him, you know, of, of other women still and all. It's crazy, you know. Uh, my mom's, you know, just, they're both just as madly in love with each other. They set a great example. You know, statistically, marriages last longer when, when, you, when you come from that. Now, you know, I recognize that, that in our day and age uh, is sadly uh, becoming the exception and not the rule. More, more and more people are coming from broken homes. And, and statistically, it does impact marriages. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, it can be overcome. I know people who came from horrible broken homes. And my, my mom and dad, 57 years of marriage. My dad's father married 10 times. Ten times. In fact, you know, I take it back. We just found out it was 11, just recently. We found out there's 11, but there's another one out there somewhere, you know, right? He was a doctor, whatever, he, you know. Um, my dad, though, he broke that chain. But, but man, there, there is this, you know, having an example and giving an example to follow, it, it's, it equips you so good to, you know, to transition, you know, in this, this leadership. Another example that, that Saul gives, or that Samuel gives, he, he says in verse 3, look, I didn't take anybody's ox, I didn't take their donkey, I didn't cheat, I didn't strong arm anybody. Right, you know, basically, look, Saul, or Samuel wasn't for sale. He couldn't be bought. And, and in so doing and in living like that, look, there's no compromise in this man's life. Example after example after example. And, and basically, he's, what he's doing now, he's saying, look, I have given you guys the best example I can possibly give. I have set you up for success as God, as God has allowed me to do. I've been as faithful as I can possibly be. And so now here we go, and, and now I'm, I'm handing this thing over to Saul. And basically what Samuel doesn't want, he's like, look, I'm not handing you a mess. I don't want you coming back and saying this is all George Bush's fault. I don't want to deal with that. Okay. I'm giving you this over as well as I possibly can. Now, and I want you to get this. Just think about this. How wonderful, how amazingly wonderful is this to end your life, to come to the end of your life. And now I'm talking about you. And you get there to the end of your life and you're standing before God and everyone. And you could say at the end of your life, I've got no fear, I've got no shame. Listen, I, I, I've, I've done all that, that I could possibly do. To honor the Lord. I mean, how incredibly wonderful to set that kind of an example. Jesus said this at the end of his ministry in John 17. He said, I have glorified, he's talking to the Father in prayer, I've glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you've given me to do. I, I would encourage you to jot John 17.4 down and take a walk with that this week. And, and I get Jesus here, he prays this prayer at the very end. He knows he's going to the cross. He, it was done. I have finished. But here's what I would challenge you with the question. Could you even pray, uh, I've been faithful to the work? Lord, I've been faithful to the work that you've given me to do. Can I just say, some people don't even know the work that God's given them to do. I'm talking about a message of transitioning leadership. And for some, this whole thing, it's like, how's this apply to me? Why? Well, because you haven't even assumed the leadership that God has called you to assume. In Jesus' name. So the thing is, is that, man, we got to take a walk with it. Look, am I being faithful to what you've called me to do, God? Am I being faithful to that work? Now, the second thing Samuel does in, in transferring leadership, once you see it, Samuel cites the Lord's faithfulness. He cites the Lord's faithfulness. Verse 6, we continue. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses. Now I want you to get and see that throughout this chapter, 30 times he says, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. 30 times. Why? Well, because they think it's Saul. It's Saul. It's Saul. They're, 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 they're looking. They got their eyes on the wrong. And so he says, look, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did uh, to uh, you and your fathers. When Jacob, verse 8, had gone into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, 
Then that the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when, verse 9, they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. Because we have forsaken the Lord and we've served the Baals and the Asterisks, these are idols uh, uh, that they'd served. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and, and we will serve you. Verse 11, and the Lord sent Jerubbabel, it's another word for Gideon, and uh, Bedan, and Jephthah, and Samuel, he names himself here, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. Verse 12, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall rule over us, when the Lord was your king. See, Samuel here, he makes two points. It's just as clear as he can possibly make them. He says, look, God has been nothing but faithful to you. Over and over and over again, he's been nothing but faithful to you. Raised up Moses, he raised up Aaron, he raised up, you know, Gideon, he raised up me, he raised up Jephthah. Look, he's been faithful and it's God, it's the Lord. It's, it's not these men, it's God. And he says, and you in return, his second point, you're unfaithful. He was faithful, and you're unfaithful. And now here's the deal. I mean, they were plagued with a nasty tendency to walk by sight and not by faith. And we get it, right? I mean, I get it, I understand them, you understand them. Everything in me wants to walk by sight. Especially control freaks, man. I mean, we want to just be able to engineer everything. People, people who say they like walking by faith um, aren't entirely genuine. Yeah, I know we want to walk by faith, but when God puts us in a situation where we have to walk by faith, it is scary blanket time, you know? I want my wooby because I, I don't want to walk... By faith. Why? Well, because walking by faith is scary. You don't know what's going to happen. Now, that's, that's, that's a scary thought because the Bible says that the, the, the just shall live by faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. But everything in my nature, look, if I'm honest, and if you're honest, not only do I prefer to walk by what I can see, but, but I even engineer all the stuff in my life so that I don't have to walk by faith, don't I? I really do. It's like, okay, so I'm going to do this, and we'll set that, and then this. And so I got all these lily pads in my life where it's like I can jump from here to here to here. And what does God do? God's like, oh, he takes away one of the lily pads. Oh, what happened to your lily pad? You're like, wait, oh, well, I had it set up right there, God. I was just like, and he's like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do? And, and why? Well, because he wants us to walk by faith. He doesn't want us to walk by sight. But every single time I come up against something, I try to engineer it. I try to change it. And I'm just like you. We all do that. So what Samuel does is he says, look, I'm going to transfer my leadership over to you. And one of the best things I can do is tell you, listen, God's faithful. And you, you have to, you, you, can't, you can't look at your checkbook. You can't look at these leaders. You can't look at your health. You can't look at your 10-year plan. You can't, you can't look, you got to look to God. You have to trust in God. You have, to, you have to cast all your cares upon him, knowing that he cares for you. And listen, here's what he says in verse 13. He says, now therefore, he says in verse 13, here's the king you have chosen and whom you have desired, He's like, hey, here you go. There's Saul. This is, what you, this is what you wanted. But listen, he says, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, look, even the thing you tried to engineer is God's doing. It, it ultimately, you're gonna, it, it, if you want to trust in your own stuff, you'll be heartbroken. But you've got to understand, look, it is the Lord. And this is... What did the psalmist say? The psalmist said in one, Psalm 121, verse 1-2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My daughter Megan, my firstborn, 
was, was born December 10th, 1985, which means on December 10th, I'll have a 29-year-old. I know, I don't look that old. Thank you so much for, for that. <laughs> but on the day that, that Megan was born, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a huge event for my father. Certainly, it was a huge event for me. But for my father, the event signified a transition of leadership. See, because Megan, my firstborn, I went from being my father's child to being my child's father. That's still my father's child, but you get what I'm saying. Now, man, little Teddy's all grown up. I'm not my father's child. I, I, I am now my child's father. And my dad marked the occasion. No differently than a dad walking his, his daughter down the aisle and saying, this is that moment when I hand my little girl off. My dad, he marked the occasion. And he gave me a Bible and he wrote, on the inside cover, he wrote these words. He said, Ted, guide your family by Jesus. The words of Jesus are absolute truth. They are the revelation of God. Anybody who tells you otherwise tells a lie. If you set your course by the gospel of Christ, you will gain eternal life. See, what my dad did there in my transition to leadership, my dad cited the Lord's faithfulness. So critically important. My dad, you know, over the years, he knew, man, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to be tempted to doubt. I'm going to be tempted to trust in my own abilities. I'm going to be tempted to engineer my own way. And my dad said, listen, the best thing I can do for you right now, Ted, as you transition into the leader of your family is to understand that the Lord, the Lord's faithful. I need you to set your compass by the Lord's faithfulness. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I won't have you turn there because we don't have enough time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we, we see Moses is telling everybody, look, you know what? You tell your kids as you're, as you're walking along the way, when you're lying down, when you rise up, when you're sitting down to eat. Paraphrase, look, you tell them about the Lord's faithfulness. And he goes on to say a little later in the chapter, he says, and you know, when they ask you, what is up with your faith? What's the deal here? He says, you know, I want you to tell them then, look, God's faithful. He delivered our fathers out of, out of Egypt. He brought us out of bondage. Hey, son, daughter, that's what's up with our faith. The idea is that, man, when we, when we transfer this leadership in our lives, we have to give an given a, give a thought and an attitude and a concern for, look, how will I tell my kids? How will I tell them that, listen, God is faithful? Because they need to hear it. Well, the third thing Samuel does in transferring leadership, Samuel challenged and chastised them. He challenged and he chastised them, verse 14, He says, if you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the King who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father's. And now, therefore, he says in verse 16, stand and see this great thing which the Lord (coughs) will do before your eyes. And so he says, look, stand up. Something big is about to happen. He says in verse 17, is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. He preaches up a storm, literally. 
You know, here is what he does. And he can do that, you know, because he's Samuel and all. Um, So Samuel called to the Lord, verse 18, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel challenged and he chastised them. Listen, if there's one thing we learn from history, it's that we don't learn from history, okay? We don't. We're, we, we do, he who forgets history is doomed to repeat it. Well, we all forget history. And, and so especially with the nation of Israel. And what Samuel does, he's already established the fact, look, you don't learn. You guys keep doing this. You know, God raises up Aaron, he raises up Moses, and, he, and they're like, you're looking to, oh no, you know, Moses is gone, what are we going to, let's make the golden calf kind of deal. I mean, it's like, you, you, you just, you guys are stuck on stupid, you keep doing this thing. And we're stuck on stupid, we keep doing this stuff. So, so he warns them yet again, but listen, not only does he warn them, what we've just read, but, but he also adds a little kick to it. Right? He also prays, hey, Lord, you know, send some rain, send some thunder. Now, what you got to understand, geographically, what happens is they get rain, they get the, er, the early rains and they get the latter rains, right? And so this is in between that time. This is harvest time. It don't rain during harvest time. And when it does rain during harvest time, it causes destruction, causes damage. It, it ruins crops sometimes. And so this is a horrible storm. So it's highly likely and, in fact, probable that their, their crops were severely damaged, if not destroyed. And now on the face of it, you might go, oh, you know what, Samuel, he's just, he's just mad. He's just bitter. So, oh, you don't want me? You want Saul? All right, God, let him have it, you know, kind of thing. That's not what's going down here. What, what I need you to understand, the challenging, the chastising, when we talk about transition of leadership or the preparatory work of transitioning to leadership, when you're talking and, I, and you know, when you're raising people up, you can't underestimate the value of a good spanking, is what he's saying, is what we learn here. You can't underestimate the value of a good spanking. Sometimes spanking is the most loving thing that we can do for our children. And I meet a lot of parents, they don't want, they don't want to discipline their kids. They don't want to make them unhappy. He's little King Farouk. Let's just make him happy and just give him whatever he wants. Look, you are not doing him any favors. You are not preparing that child to transition into adulthood. And so a spanking often is the thing that is prescribed. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Again, Hebrews 12.9 says, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and lives? Listen, sometimes you've got to apply the board of education to the seed of knowledge. It needs to happen. And, and so, you know, I think about this. For, um, you know, Brenda was on the, the set with Scotty one time, and there was a guy there on the set, and he was sharing a story about how he was approaching his 18th birthday, and, and he thought, you know, well, the whole world was going to change when he turned 18, and he let his dad know so. He's like, ah, oh, you know what? It's only a couple more days where you can tell me what to do, Pop, and then it's me, and I get to do whatever I want. You can't tell me anything. And he said, oh, I was a punk, and, and, he, and the guy lived at home. So his 18th birthday, he comes home, all of his stuff's in the front yard. He's like, what on earth? He goes, he tries the door, the locks are changed, his key won't work. He's like ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door. His dad doesn't even open the door, just looks through the, the window. He's like, can I help you? <laughs> you know, whoa, what's, what's up, dad? What's all my stuff out on the thing? Why can't I, where's my key work? He's like, well, didn't you hear? You don't live here anymore. You're 18. You're in charge of your own life. You get to do whatever you want to do. Now, think about this for a second. It's a great story. And those of you that have, you know, like early, you know, whatever, kids before 18, you're thinking, I'm, I'm filing that one away. Yeah, sounds great. Until you're moving your kid's stuff out on the front lawn. No, most people aren't willing to do that. Most people are like, eh. Oh, honey, just please don't act like that. Please, oh, what do you want for dinner? I'll make it for you, you know? So what does this kid do? This kid's like, what? Now, the risk his dad took, he might just take his stuff up, and now their relationship is, you know, oh, what's going on? This kid goes, Dad! And his father goes, oh, you can move back in, but there's going to be some rules that you're going to have to abide to. 
And that kid, he told, he told Brenda, he says, you know what? It had a big impact on my life. I moved all my stuff back in knowing I was moving into my father's house under his rules. He said it had a big impact on my life, changed my life. So, so the issue here for us is we got to understand that as we're preparing to transfer leadership, we have to be bold enough sometimes to, to discipline. We have to be bold enough sometimes to say, you know what? Yeah, your crops, that's nothing in comparison to what this is going to mean for you if you don't learn this lesson. So, so there ain't no teacher like the burnt finger, so here you go, kind of deal. Now, I used to tell my kids this all the time. Look, I'm, I'm not after your happiness, I'm after your holiness. And if, if, I, if I focus on your holiness, the happiness will take care of itself. But if you live an unholy life, ain't none of us going to be happy. The book of Proverbs says that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Let me just take another quick angle on this. Uh, seeing as I've got so much time, and I don't. But listen, um, you know, talking about this storm, here's another thought on this, another take on this. Maybe... Maybe today you're in, you're in a storm, metaphorically speaking. Maybe you've got a storm going on in your life. And, um, and I, you know, I would just have you maybe take a walk with, all right, Lord, why? I'm in a storm. Because sometimes what happens is the storm hits, and we're so busy trying to, you know, take, metaphorically speaking, you know, plug the leaks and, you know, take care of all the details and keep everything from blowing away that we don't stop and consider uh, who brought this storm, and why is this storm hitting my life right now? Maybe it's time to take a walk with and go, okay, so, you know, I got a storm in my life, and, and do I need to, you know, really give some thoughtful consideration to, am I being chastised here? You know, is, is there some sort of challenging that's taking place in my life, something I, something I need to really take a, a good, hard look at, and Lord, what, what on earth are you doing? <clears throat> Well, notice in verse 19, it has the desired effect. It says, now it happened when Saul, uh, I'm sorry, that's verse 14, uh, chapter 14. Verse, <laughs> verse 19, chapter 12, it says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So it seems to have the desired effect. They're like, oh, we blew it. We see it now. Pray for us. Now, if I were Samuel, I just have to confess that I might just go, well, why don't you ask your poster boy Saul to pray for you? And you wanted Saul, why are you asking me to have Saul pray for you, you know? But, but, but Samuel, he doesn't do this, man. And, and this is the fourth thing, and it's my final point, and I'll make it quickly, but, it, but it's important. Listen, Samuel encourages them. That's what he did. Samuel encouraged them. This is a, this is a great principle and a, and a key and integral part of the transfer of leadership is that you have to bring encouragement. <clears throat> Verse 20. And then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You've done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He's like, look, you're right. You're guilty. You've done this. But don't lose heart. Listen, don't, don't turn aside from the Lord. Serve him with all your heart, verse 21, and do not turn idle, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Circle that word make, we'll come right back to it. Verse 23, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And that would prove to be prophetic in that both the northern and the southern kingdoms were indeed swept away in their disobedience. But listen, Samuel encourages them. This is what he does here. I want you to notice, Samuel encouraged them by being there for him for the follow-through. This is really important. I'll just, just say this about that. When you transition and, you know, you, when I send my son out, when he's married now, my daughters are married, it's not like I said, my work is done, don't call, don't write, I'm over. 
But no, now this, now this turns into a, a whole different season. And now, you know, you turn into the, a confidant for them. Hey, would you pray for me? Hey, would you counsel me? Hey, would you give me advice? Would you give me... Yeah, and it's a sweet season. And so Samuel encourages them in that way. And that's a, that's a super important part of this transfer process. But I want you to notice also, Samuel encouraged them by giving them hope. Let me say that again. He encouraged them by giving them hope. He says, look, yeah, you're right. You are guilty. Yeah, you did that. Yeah, the way, the burden, the badness, the, the, the way that you feel right now, this lamenting, you're right. Own that. But listen, there's hope. He says, do not fear. In verse 22, he, he says, for it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. That word make, in the Hebrew, it's the word asah, A-S-A-H, asah. And here's what it means. It means to literally make out of nothing. Here's a fascinating thing. It's the same word that he used back in verse 6 when he talked about Moses and Aaron. When he, when he, when he says there in, in, in verse 6, he says, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron. That, the, the, that phrase, raised up, it's, the, it's Asah. He made them out of nothing. And, and, and it was the same word when we read from Psalm uh, 121, verse, verse 1, where he, look, where, I lift up my eyes to the, to the Lord. Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's the same word. Makes it out of nothing. Here's the point. It, we, it's not about you, it's about God. That's what you got to hear. He loves you. He's given the life for you. And, and he wants to have fellowship with you. And it's, and, it's, and it's entirely about him. This is the encouragement that Saul is giving. Look, you guys have a lot of failure in your past. Yes, you've done a lot of things wrong. But man, it's not about you. It's not a license to sin, but it's not about you. It's about God, and he loves you. And if you would just stop forsaking the Lord and trusting in these empty things, you would know that, you would experience that. Because he just wants good for you. Revelation chapter 4 tells us that all things were created for his pleasure. Everything, and that includes you. But listen, if you don't get that straight, it's going to create huge confusion in your life. Massive confusion in in your behavior. Because we weren't created for our pleasure, we were created for his pleasure. We're We're not here for hobbies, we're not here for appetites, we're not here for, even for your happiness, you're not here for that. These are those empty things that he talks about in verse 21 that people turn to. You're not not created for those things. You're created for his pleasure. And for some, that disturbs them. That bothers them. It's like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't God care about my happiness? Yeah, well, yeah, but he cares about your holiness. And he knows that the happiness will come. But you've been created for his pleasure. And it's not that he's some narcissistic egomaniac and you're an ant and he's got the, the magnifying glass. and wants, That's not the relationship. If you look at it in the book of Genesis, what is it? It's he creates man and gives him life because he wants to have fellowship with him. God just loves you. He just wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have a right relationship with you. Listen to him in his word, the writer of Hebrews says, let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, not those empty things that, that, that Samuel talks about in verse 20, 21. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He has a plan for your life. The psalmist said this as we close. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't let your past sins ruin your life and keep you from the Lord. 